إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد so continuing then after the break with fiqh al-ad'iyya wal-adhkar the fiqh of dua and supplications and remembrance we were on the chapters that were discussing the topic of dua the topic of dua and dua being answered and so today we're on this chapter that is going to speak about why dua may be answered and why sometimes it may not be answered. Some people they say they make dua but it's not answered. So why might that be? Why is it that dua may sometimes not be answered? Today we're going to look at some of those topics insha'Allah. Previously we've already seen that making dua is a great act of worship and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala <coughs> commands us to make dua. So Allah said in the Quran, وَقَالَ رَبُّكُمُ دُعُونِي أَسْتَجِبْ لَكُمْ and your Lord said, Call upon me and I will answer you. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يَسْتَكْبِرُونَ عَنْ عِبَادَتِي سَيَدْخُلُونَ جَهَنَّمَ دَاخِرِينَ Those who are arrogant and haughty from doing my worship, meaning making dua to me, then they will enter the hellfire. وَبَيَانُ مَا فِيهِ مِنْ دَلَالَةِ so in this ayah, Allah says, Make dua to me and I will answer you. Make dua to me and I will answer you. Istashkala ba'adhu ahli al-ilm bi'anna ba'adhu al-da'een قَدْ يَدْعُوا وَيَسْأَلَ اللَّهُ أُمُورًا قَدْ لَا يَرَى أَنَّهُ تَحَقَّقَ لَهُ شَيْءٌ مِنْهَا أَوْ تَحَقَّقَ لَهُ بَعْضُهَا دُونَ بَعْضٍ Some people, they may have a confusion over this ayah that Allah is saying, make dua to me and I will answer you but sometimes a person may make dua and it is not answered, or he may make dua and only some of it is answered, and some things that he makes dua for are not answered. So how do we understand that? Because Allah in the ayah says, make dua and I will answer you. So the scholars have given certain explanations, and they have highlighted that dua being answered is dependent on certain conditions, on certain affairs. 
والشأن في الدعاء كذلك so the affair regarding dua is just like other acts of worship for it to be valid and to be accepted and dua to be answered then there are conditions and there are certain other things that you have to not be doing if you're doing certain types of sins for example your dua may not be answered so there are a number of factors that are involved in dua being answered. Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullahu ta'ala mentioned, فَإِنَّهُ أَيْ الدُّعَى مِنْ أَقْوَى الْأَسْبَابِ فِي دَفْعِ الْمَكْرُوهِ وَحُصُولِ الْمَطْلُوبِ Dua is from the strongest of the means. From the strongest of the means to repel that which is disliked or harmful or bad and to achieve that which is required and desired. Dua is from the strongest of the means. To repel that which is disliked and harmful and to achieve that which is desired and good. Walakin, however, قَدْ يَتَخَلَّفْ عَنْهُ أَفَرُهُ But sometimes the effect of dua may not be seen. Sometimes the Dua and the the consequences, what you desire, may not actualize. Imma, and that could be either. لِضَعَفٍ فِي نَفْسِهِ بِأَنْ يَكُونَ دُعَاءً لَا يُحِبُّهُ اللَّهُ لِمَا فِيهِ مِنَ الْعُدْوَانِ It could be. Either due to a weakness in the dua, meaning that it could be something that is not beloved to Allah, due to there being some transgression in that dua. If you make a dua, within it there is an element of transgression. You are transgressing upon someone in the dua that you are making. You are perhaps suppressing someone in the dua that you are making and requiring. Then in that case, if you are transgressing the boundaries in what you're asking for, then it will not be answered. That can be one reason. وَإِمَّا لِضَعْفِ الْقَلْبِ وَعَدَمْ إِقْبَالِهِ عَلَى اللَّهِ وَجَمْعِيَّتِهِ عَلَيْهِ وَقْتَ الدُّعَى Another reason separate to that is that when the person is making dua, he is not fully focused on his dua and his heart is not 100% focused and concentrating in that dua. He is not giving his full attention into that dua. 
And as a consequence of that, when you make dua like that, where you're not fully into that dua, making that dua, recognizing your poverty before Allah, asking for what you need, if you're not fully focused with your heart 100% in it, and you're only making that dua negligently, not really fully 100% in it, then maybe the dua wouldn't be answered too. Maybe if you make your dua like that, without fully with your heart in it, then it might not be answered either. That could be another reason. فَيَكُونُ بِمَنْزِلَةِ الْقَوْسِ الرَّخْوِ جِدًّا فَإِنَّ السَّهْمَ يَخْرُجُ مِنْهُ خُرُوجًا ضَعِيفًا Ibn al-Qayyim gives the example of a bow and arrow. When you have a bow and arrow, on the bow, the string at the back of the bow needs to be tight. So when you put the arrow in and you pull that string and let go, it fires. But on your bow, if that string is loose, now when you put the arrow in and you try to shoot it, because the string is loose, it's not going to give power to the arrow when it flies out. Ibn al-Qayyim says that's the example. If somebody makes dua with their full heart in it, then it's like your bow with the strong string and the arrow fires far. But if somebody makes dua only half-hearted, not fully focused, then it's like the bow with the loose string and your arrow doesn't go anywhere. That's the dua of a person who only makes it half-hearted, not fully focused. A bow and arrow with the bow that is weak, the string is loose and it doesn't fire anywhere. And it could be another reason. There could be another reason now why the dua isn't answered. Maybe because there is something that you are doing that is preventing your dua from being answered. That could be, for example, you are eating from the haram. Perhaps it is because you are eating from the haram. Maybe you are taking income that is haram. Maybe you are taking interest and other types of haram. You're eating from the haram. So when you make your dua, maybe that action of yours is preventing your dua from being answered. Or it could be a dhulm that you are oppressing people. Your oppression upon other people, your oppression upon this one or that one. When you make dua now for something, maybe it won't be answered because of the dhulm that you are doing elsewhere. That could be something preventing your dua from being answered. وَرَيْنِ الذُّنُوبِ عَلَىٰ الْقُلُوبِ And generally a person who is committing sins and sins and sins, then those sins, they impact upon the heart of a person. Those sins that you are doing could be the reason that your dua is not being answered. Those sins could be the reason, the cause, preventing your dua from being answered. 
And it could be because of your negligence, you're not focused on your religion, not paying attention to your religion, you're involved in desires and wasting your time and relaxing, and you're not practicing your religion or focusing on your religion. So when it comes to making du'a, maybe your du'a isn't answered because of all of that negligence you're wasting your life in, and the ignorance and the, the wastefulness, and you're not focused on your religion, you're focused on your desires, etc. So when you make du'a for something, maybe all of those sins and those actions of yours are the reason preventing your du'a from being answered. Kama. في مستدرك الحاكم and this is mentioned in the hadith of Abu Hurairah رضي الله عنه in the مستدرك of الحاكم that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said أدعوا الله وأنتم موقنون الإجابة make dua to Allah and you are convinced Allah will answer. Do not make dua thinking maybe, maybe. Make dua convinced that Allah will answer your dua. Muqinuna bil ijaba. That's what they mentioned before Ibn al-Qayyim. If you make dua not convinced, you think there's no chance really. How is this going to be answered? You think there's no real chance. You're not convinced. When you make dua like that, then maybe it won't be answered. Make dua with conviction, convinced that Allah will answer your dua. وَعَلَمُوا أَنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَقَبَلُ دُعَاءً مِنْ قَلْبٍ غَافِلٍ لَاهٍ And this hadith also mentions, it's a Hassan hadith, that Allah does not accept the dua of a heart that is not focused. If your heart is not focused on the dua you're making, your heart is just here and there, you're wandering, you're not focused, you're negligent, just making dua. Then in that case, perhaps your dua will not be answered. You're not making it with focus and with your heart. That's what the hadith says, أَنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَقَبَلُ دُعَاءً مِنْ قَلْبٍ غَافِلٍ لَهِمْ Allah does not accept the dua from a heart that is negligent and not focused. فَهَذَا دَوَاءٌ نَافِعٌ مُزِيلٌ لِلْدَّاءِ وَلَكِنَّ غَفْلَةَ الْقَلْبِ عَنِ اللَّهِ تُبْطِلُ قُوَّتَهُ وَكَذَلِكَ أَكْلُ الْحَرَامِ يُبْطِلُ قُوَّتَهُ وَيُضْعِفُهَا And so these types of things, negligence, it removes the strength of your dua. The strength of your dua and your conviction in your dua is lost when you're not focused and your heart is not fully in it. It removes the strength of the dua you're making, makes your dua weak, and maybe it won't be answered then. And similarly, when you're eating the haram, taking the haram income, eating the haram, those things, they weaken your dua. And so your dua may not be answered also. 
And that is mentioned in the hadith of Abu Hurairah, radiallahu anhu, in Sahih Muslim, where the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, said, Ya ayyuhal nas, inna allaha tayyibun, la yaqabalu illa tayyiba. وَإِنَّ اللَّهَ أَمَرَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ بِمَا أَمَرَ بِهِ الْمُرْسَلِينَ فَقَالْ يَا أَيُّهَا الرُّسُلُ كُلُوا مِنَ الطَّيِّبَاتِ وَاعْمَلُوا صَالِحًا إِنِّي بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ عَلِيمٌ وَقَالْ يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا كُلُوا مِنْ طَيِّبَاتِ مَا رَزَقْنَاكُمْ ثُمَّ ذَكَرَ الرَّجُلَ يُطِيلُ السَّفَرَ أشعف أغبر يمد يديه إلى السماء يا رب يا رب ومطعمه حرام ومشربه حرام وملبسه حرام وغذي بالحرام فأنا يستجاب له ولذلك This حديث in صحيح مسلم of Abu Hurairah رضي الله عنه that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, O oh people, indeed Allah is tayyib, meaning good, and He only accepts the good. Allah only accepts the good things. La yaqbalu illa tayyiban. Allah does not accept, accept the good things. And indeed Allah commanded the believers with what he commanded the messengers. Allah commanded the believers with the same thing that he commanded the messengers with. And what was that? He said to the messengers, O messengers, eat from the good, from the tayyibat. Eat from the good, from the halal, and do the righteous actions. Indeed, I am aware of what you do. And, O oh, you who believe, eat from the good that we have provided you with. Eat from the good that we have provided you with. And then the messenger mentioned about a man who was on a lengthy journey and he is disheveled, dust and everything upon him. And he raises his hands to the sky and makes dua, Oh my Lord, oh my Lord. But his food that he eats is haram, and what he drinks is haram. And his garments, he acquired them in haram. And all what he, he takes in, it is haram. So then, Anna yustajabu lidhalika. Where is the dua of this kind of person going to be answered then? His food is haram, his drink is haram, his clothes, he got them in haram. All of his affairs, they are in haram. Then where is his dua going to be answered? So the point here is the Prophet ﷺ was highlighting that these haram actions you're engaged in, they could be the reason why your dua is not being answered. They could be the cause of preventing your du'a from being answered. فَأَشَارَ صَلَوَاتُ اللَّهِ وَسَلَامُهُ عَلَيْهِ فِي هَذَا الْحَدِيثِ 
إلى آداب الدعاء وإلى الأسباب التي تقتضي إجابته وإلى ما يمنع من إجابته والحديث فيه دلالة عظيمة وإشارات نافعة في هذا الباب So the hadith highlights that certain types of actions you're doing could be the prevention could be the things that are preventing your dua from being answered. وَمِمَّا يَدُلُّ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ الدُّعَىٰ مُتَوَقِّفٌ فِي قَبُولِهِ عَلَىٰ وُجُودِ شُرُوطِ وَانْتِفَاءِ مَوَانِعِ مَا ثَبَتَ فِي الصَّحِيحَيْنِ مِنْ حَدِيثِ أَبِي هُرَيْرَةَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ أَنَّ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمَ قَالَ يُسْتَجَابُ لِأَحَدِكُمْ مَا لَمْ يَعْجَلْ يَقُولْ دَعَوْتُ فَلَمْ يُسْتَجَبْ لِي One of the things that the Prophet ﷺ advised us with when it comes to making dua in Al-Bukhari and Muslim from the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiyallahu anhu, he said that the dua of one of you will be answered as long as you are not hasty. The dua... Of one of you will be answered as long as you are not hasty. And you do not say, I made dua and it's not being answered. Sometimes people make dua and they want it to be answered immediately. And they start saying, I made dua and it's not being answered, it hasn't been answered. And they start making those kinds of comments. The hadith says, no, be patient. Your dua will be answered as long as you are not hasty. Too many people, maybe that's the reason why their dua isn't answered. They make dua and then soon afterwards, a day, two days, a few days, a week, they start saying, I made dua, it's not being answered. It's not being answered. I was making dua, making dua, it's not being answered. A person starts to behave like that, loses his patience, maybe that's the reason why the dua isn't answered in the end. So be patient and the dua will be answered, the messenger mentioned in this hadith. In another hadith in Sahih Muslim, the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, لَا يَزَالُ يُسْتَجَابُ لِلْعَبْدِ مَا لَمْ يَدْعُ بِإِثْمٍ أَوْ قَطِيعَةِ رَحِمٍ مَا لَمْ يَسْتَعْجِلْ قِيلَ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ ما الاستعجال؟ قال يقول دعو قد دعوت وقد دعوت فلم أرى يستجيب لي فيستحسر عند ذلك ويدع الدعاء. In this hadith in Sahih Muslim, the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said, the du'a of a servant is continuously answered. It is always answered. It is answered as long as he does not make dua for any sin. We know that you cannot make dua for something haram. You cannot make dua for something that is a sin. So the dua will continue to be answered as long as there is no sin involved in the dua you're making and there is no cutting off the ties of kinship in the dua that you are making, 
And as long as you do not become hasty. The companions, they said, or it was said to the messenger, what does it mean becoming hasty? So the Prophet ﷺ said to them, that's when somebody says, قَدَّعَوْتُ قَدَّعَوْتُ فَلَمْ أَرَى يَسْتَجِيبُ لِي When somebody says, I made dua, I made dua, and I can't see that it is being answered for me. When a person starts saying, my dua is not being answered, I made dua, I made dua, it's not being answered. When a person starts talking like that, and then he loses hope. A person loses hope then. He says, my dua is not being answered. I was making dua, making dua, it's not being answered. So he loses hope. And as a consequence of losing hope, thinking his dua is not being answered, being hasty, he then stops making dua. Saying that I made dua, I made dua, but it wasn't answered. And so then he becomes, uh, loses his hope and stops making dua. So that hastiness in claiming I made dua and the dua is not being answered, that type of hastiness can be one of the reasons why the dua of a person is not answered. In another narration it says the same thing. Hadith of Anas ibn Malik that the messenger said, لا يزال العبد بخير ما لم يستعجل A servant will remain upon goodness as long as he is not hasty. قالوا يا رسول الله كيف يستعجل They said, O messenger of Allah, how would he be considered to be hasty? How does a person become hasty? قال يقول The messenger said It's when a person says قَدَّعَوْتُ رَبِّي فَلَمْ يَسْتَجِيبَ لِي That I made dua to my Lord فَلَمْ يَسْتَجِبْ لِي But he did not answer me When a person starts saying that I made dua but he didn't answer my dua Allah didn't answer my dua You start saying that This is considered you being hasty And that is one of the reasons Why your dua might not be answered at all in the end فَاسْتِعْجَالُ الْإِجَابَةِ آفَةٌ مِّنَ الْآفَاتِ تَمْنَعُ تَرَتُّبَ أَثَرِ الدُّعَاءِ عَلَيْهِ So having that hastiness and my dua wasn't answered, that is a calamity from the calamities. And it prevents the effect of the dua taking place. حَيْثُ إِنَّ الْمُسْتَعْجِلِ عِنْدَمَا يَسْتَبْطِئْ because when somebody who's hasty and wants their dua to be answered quickly, immediately, and their dua isn't answered quickly or immediately, then after that he starts losing hope and he doesn't bother making dua anymore. So that is another bad thing that happens to him then. وَيَكُونُ بِذَلِكَ كَمَا يَقُولُ إِبْنُ الْقَيِّمْ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهِ بِمَنْزِلَةِ مَنْ بَذَرَ بَذْرًا أَوْ غَرَسَ غَرْسًا فَجَعَلَ يَتَعَحَدْهُ وَيَسْقِيهُ فَلَمَّا اسْتَبْطَأَ كَمَالَهُ إِدْرَاكَهُ تَرَكَهُ أَهْمَلَهُ Ibn al-Qayyim said it's like the example of somebody who plants some seeds. Plants some seeds. 
So when you plant those seeds, you have to keep going back and watering it and checking the soil and making sure it's all good. You have to keep doing that for a few days, a few weeks, maybe even a few months until it properly grows out and you get the vegetables and everything. So if a person plants the seeds and then goes and looks after it every day and waters it every day, and then a week goes by, two weeks go by, three weeks go by, a month goes by, and barely anything is growing. It takes time. It takes time. Maybe a month goes by, and he's been going every day, watering it, and he sees hardly anything is growing. And he thinks to himself, this one's not growing. This one's not working. It's not going to grow. Forget it. And he goes and doesn't bother watering it anymore, doesn't bother doing anything anymore. So that thing obviously then just dies. Ibn Qayyim said that's the example of the one who makes dua. When you make dua, then you keep your conviction in Allah, keep hoping that Allah will answer your dua, keep making the dua, meaning keep watering that plant. If you think, well, it's taking so long and it's not even growing, a person thinks it's taking so long and my dua isn't even being answered, then it's like the example of that person, he thinks it's taking so long, this one's not even growing, forget it. And he doesn't bother watering it, and so it just dies. And that's like the person who thinks, but it's been so long, and my dua still isn't being answered. So then he doesn't bother anymore, doesn't make dua anymore, abandons it, and so the dua is not answered, and the effects of the dua that he wanted are not given to him. And it is mentioned that a person when he makes dua, he cannot make dua for anything that is haram. You cannot make dua for the ties of kinship to be cut off. You have to make dua for the good things, not for the haram or that which is impermissible. وَهُوَ أَنْ لَا يَدْعُوَ الْإِنسَانُ بِإِثْمٍ أَوْ مَعْصِيَةٍ أَوْ سُوءٍ يَلْحَقُهُ أَوْ يَلْحَقُ You cannot make dua for something that is a sin. And you cannot make dua for something that is impermissible or haram. And you cannot make dua for some evil to happen to yourself. Or for some evil to happen to somebody else. You cannot make dua for these kinds of things. Those kinds of things are not going to be answered. وَهَذَا مِنْ حِكْمَةِ اللَّهِ تَبَارَكَ وَتَعَالَى وَلُطْفِهِ بِخَلْقِهِ وَلَوْ أَنَّهُ سُبْحَانَهُ أَجَابَ الْعَبْدَ فِي كُلِّ مَا يُرِيدُ وَيَطْلُبُ الْأَدَّى ذَلِكَ إِلَى وَقُوِعْ مَفَاسِدٍ عَدِيدًا لَهُ أَوْ لِغَيْرِهِ And this is from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon a person that Allah does not answer every type of dua. In that case, if every dua was answered, then even the bad types of things people ask for the haram or the harm upon other people and cutting off the ties of kinship, if all of those things were answered, there would be corruption amongst the people. It is from the mercy of Allah and the generosity and kindness of Allah that He does not answer the dua that has badness in it. Otherwise there would be corruption amongst the people, people making all types of dua against each other. So that is from the mercy of Allah upon His creation, that He does not answer everything that the creation asks for those things that are bad, then Allah does not answer those affairs. Then, just to round off, four things that will aid in the dua of a person being answered. 
One of them, it's mentioned in the hadith before, is when you are traveling. When you are traveling, a person when he is on a journey traveling and makes dua, that is one of the reasons and causes for the dua of a person to be answered. That's in a hadith in Abu Dawood ibn Majah, Tirmidhi, where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said in the hadith of Abu Huraira radiyallahu anhu, ثَلَاثُ دَعْوَاتْ مُسْتَجَابَاتْ لَا شَكَّ فِيهِنَّ Three du'as are answered and there is no doubt in them. دَعْوَاتُ الْمَظْلُومِ The du'a of the one who is oppressed. وَدَعْوَاتُ الْمُسَافِرِ The du'a of the traveler. وَدَعْوَاتُ الْوَالِدِ لِوَلَدِهِ And the du'a of the father for his child. So, Traveling, that is one of the causes behind the dua being answered for a person when you're on a journey, when you're traveling somewhere, make dua and that is one of the reasons for your dua to most likely be answered or more likely to be answered. Second cause behind having the dua answered, أَنْ يَكُونَ مُتَوَاضِعًا مُتَذَلِّلًا مُسْتَكِينًا فَهَذَا أَيْضًا مِنْ مُقْتَضَيَاتِ الْإِجَابَةِ That when you make dua, you have absolute humbleness and humility in front of Allah. If you're arrogant, then that's preventing the dua. But you have humbleness, absolute humbleness before Allah, knowing your weakness before Allah when you make that dua, knowing nobody can give you what you want except Allah then that poverty before your Lord is one of the means for the dua to be answered. And that's mentioned about the messenger when he would go out to make the dua for the rain prayer, he would go out in absolute humility and humbleness to make that dua. Thirdly, raising your hands is one of the reasons for dua to be answered. Raising your hands when you make dua. That is from the causes and from the means of the dua to be answered. It is from the etiquettes of the dua to raise the hands up towards the heavens. To raise the hands up towards the heavens from the etiquettes of the dua. And that is from the means of the dua being answered also. And fourthly, al-ilhah ala Allahi bi takrir dhikr rububiyyatih. That you are persistent upon that dua and you're mentioning the rububiyyah of Allah, calling upon your Lord and the Creator, the Provider, the Sustainer, calling upon Allah with His names and attributes and persistent in making that dua with conviction that Allah will answer it. And that is also from the means of the dua being answered. One thing to mention though, we said about the raising of the hands. When you raise your hands to make dua, then is it sunnah to wipe your face after you finish making the dua or not? No sunnah to do that? So you're saying it's a sunnah? You're saying it's not a sunnah, you're saying it's Allah alam. 
what you both mentioned is correct. That is the discussion. There are multiple hadith. There are lots of hadith about wiping your face. There are lots of hadith about wiping your face after you make dua. All of them though are weak. But all of them, or a lot of them, are only just weak. They're not really, really weak. If they're really, really weak, that's it, finished. No difference of opinion. But they're only just weak. Like if they were a little bit better, they would have been accepted. Like if you say this is the line of acceptance, they are just below the line of acceptance. Some hadith, they are weak, they are very weak. Some hadith, they're right down here. The line of acceptance is here. Authentic hadith, they are right down there. But these hadith about wiping on the face are just under. Just under. And there's lots of them. So sometimes, when you have lots of hadith, and they are just under the line of acceptance, to make it easy to understand, it's possible then you can combine all of those weak hadith, all of their chains of narration, etc., And by combining them all together, they can just about be above the line and be accepted. Ibn Hajar and quite a few scholars, they take that opinion. They say, okay, all of the hadith about wiping on the face are weak. But they're only just weak. And when you put them together, they become strong enough to just get over the line. And so it's sunnah, you can do it. Some scholars have that opinion. Other scholars, they say all of them are weak. And even when you combine them, they still don't manage to get above the line. So they will say to you, it is not sunnah to wipe on the face. So it's a bit of a difference of opinion about the hadith. They're all weak hadith, but some of the scholars say when you put them all together, they're just about strong enough to be acceptable. Others, they say, no, even when you put them together, the weakness is a bit too much. They're still not acceptable, so it's not a sunnah to do it. So you have that difference on that issue of wiping over the face, whether it's sunnah or not, depending on the validity of the narrations. Any uh, questions or anything to add before we conclude? I had a question. Hmm. Uh, in Surah Nisa, ayat number uh, 148, it is mentioned... Allah does not like that uh, the evil should be uttered in public except by whom who has been wrong and Allah is ever all here and all knower. I have heard a hadith, uh, the Ravi is Abu Hurairah I don't know if it's Sahih or Da'if. A person came to Prophet Muhammad and complained that his neighbor is oppressing him. So Prophet Muhammad told him to be patient. He came uh, again, uh, I think, put more time. The Prophet told him to put his uh, belongings uh, on the street, on the road. Mm-hmm. And so he put it. And when the people asked him, he told him that my neighbor is oppressing me. Mm-hmm. So the people started uh, cursing the neighbor. Mm-hmm. And so the neighbor came and apologized to him. So my question is, Ustad, uh, if Muslims are being uh, persecuted, oppressed in Kafir countries, can they go out protest? Uh, and show that they are being oppressed to make people aware of their racism and the issues that Muslims are facing in Kafir countries. No, that is not a sunnah to do that. It is not established in the religion to do that. The established sunnah in the religion is that the Muslims should be making hijrah out of the Kafir countries in the first place. 
not sitting there saying we want our rights and we want to live in this kafir country and why aren't they behaving with us good? What do you expect? If you're going to live in a kafir country, 1% Muslim, 2% Muslim, 5% Muslim, what do you expect? It's like people, they want a red carpet for them. You're living in a kafir country, you're living amongst the, the disbelievers. Then you, what do you expect? It is not for a Muslim to say, well, I need to protest for my rights and this and that. You need to organize yourself and do hijrah. Go and live in the Muslim country so you don't have to worry about the oppression of the kuffar. And yes, make dua. Make dua that Allah makes your affairs easy for you. But if the kuffar are oppressing you, oppressing you, then you need to make hijrah. You need to move yourself. Not protest outside the embassy and do those things. Make hijrah and go to a place where you can be safe and you can practice your religion without being persecuted. That's the correct way to do it, not the ikhwani way, let's go and protest and do this and demonstration and all these kinds of things. If you're living in a kafir country, you're being persecuted, make hijrah, make your best effort to try and move and go and live somewhere else where you can be with the Muslims and you can be safe. It's a question regarding hasting. You said, you know, the person said, I made dua, I made dua, I made dua. Does he have to, if he picks his mind like made dua, he can answer. He does do the service tongue. Not even in your mind. A person in his mind, if he starts thinking like that, then it's like he's losing hope in Allah. So you shouldn't have those thoughts in your mind. If you get that kind of thought, get rid of it. Stop it and remember, you're not supposed to have this thought. Hadith tells you to be patient and block those thoughts in your mind. But if you allow those thoughts to be in yourself, then you're being impatient as well. In yourself now, you're thinking all of those things. But I made dua, it's not being answered. You're thinking all of it in your heart. So you shouldn't be doing that. Prevent that, stop that. Hmm. But the kuffar sometimes make agreements like when Pakistani people migrated to this country, they made, they made agreements in their constitutions that we will protect your rights. Uh, for the freedom of your religion. So how can we, I mean, cannot, cannot we even remind them of their... You can remind them, you can write a letter to the government. You don't need to protest outside the embassies. You can write the letter to your councillor, you can write the letter to the local uh, MP and those, nothing wrong with that. But demonstrations and all these kinds of things, they are not a uh, proper practice. Writing a letter, no problem. So is the demonstration haram or mukru? Hmm? Is that demonstration haram or mukru? It depends on how it's done and what actions occur within it. It could be haram. Like the demonstrations these days, men and women all going together, mixing together, is that haram or mukru? Haram. When they go to a demonstration in London outside the embassy, they are there all day. Where is the dhuhr prayer? Where is the asr prayer? Haram or mukru? Haram. And the practice of doing it like this, the way they do it and free mixing and all these things, these are all haram actions. It is not befitting, it is not suitable. It's a weakness in the Muslims, we need to go demonstrate. You know, the kuffar will even tell you in the academics. In academic literature, demonstrating is the weakest form of protest. Demonstrating is the weakest form of protest. Because what it means is, when people go and demonstrate, it means they have absolutely no power to do anything. They've lost every opportunity or every pathway, every method. They've lost everything. They can't do anything. So let's at least go make some noise in the street at least. Because they have no other option left. It shows how weak they are. It is the weakest form of protest, they say, in the academic literature to go and demonstrate. Writing letters and writing arguments, this is stronger. 
you write your arguments, you put the law down there, mention what the law is and do these things, that's a stronger form. But going out into the streets of the banner, it shows the weakest form, that you have nothing left, you are miskeen, you have to go make some noise in the street. This is not suitable, it's not befitting. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> that you can't discuss here. That you're going to have to go into ulum al-hadith and start, start looking into it carefully. And the rulings of those types of terms, they differ between the different scholars. One scholar of hadith may use the word jayyid and it means something different compared to another scholar of hadith. Those are not easy topics. You have to look into the sciences of hadith carefully, into some of the books, uh, some of the more complicated books like the explanations of the al-fiyyah or al-Iraqi, or Suyuti, or even Ibn Kathir, Ikhtisar, Ulum al-Hadith, the Muqaddimah, Ibn Mulaqin, or Ibn Salah. Those kinds of books, they'll talk about those topics and the differences of the terminology. But that's not something you can just give a one-word or one-line answer onto. Mm. You got a question there, someone? No? Anybody else? After? Uh, the five uh, prayers. Oh. Uh, dua is made by the Imams while they raise their hands and it's a congregation of dua. So three questions arise from this. Number one, what is the verdict regarding making dua after every obligatory salah like how the Imams do? And the we'll go through it one by one. There is no sunnah to make dua, let alone congregational dua. It is not even sunnah for you personally to make dua after every prayer. There is no sunnah for that. It's a mistake. People do salam, salam, and then they do dua. There is no sunnah to do dua after the prayer. The sunnah is to do dua in the prayer. prayer. I don't know how the people, they made this up. You give salam, give salam, do your dhikr, and then do dua. There is no sunnah for dua after the prayer, every prayer. Sometimes if you do it, no problem. You know, you do dua sometimes after the prayer as well, no problem. But this practice of doing it after every prayer, it is not even sunnah individually, let alone in the congregation. Hmm. Uh, secondly, uh, because if a person of sunnah knows that this is not in the sunnah, should he say ameen to the dua that the imam is making? Or should he just continue with his own adhkar and not participate in the congregational dua? Then you should not participate in the congregational du'a. You do your dhikr, and there are plenty of adhkar. When the prayer finishes, in most of those places, they don't even give you an opportunity to do your adhkar. Straight away they start the du'a. Where's the dhikr? When are you going to do those things? You should do your adhkar and not participate in the congregational du'a. Hmm. And uh, finally, uh, since these people, uh, You see, that may have a difference in aspect to it when they say al-jiha munfakka. That the action itself, the way they are doing it, is not legitimate. Uh, that you should do it in congregation. After the prayer, okay, you cannot say it is impermissible, but it's just not a sunnah to do it in that way. Congregational dua, it is not established as a sunnah action. The one who understands that the imams and those people, then their ruling may be different compared to the ammi 
a commoner who comes into the mosque has no idea, no knowledge, no understanding. He comes and does amin to the dua. Maybe as the scholars they say, yurja lahu al-khair. Goodness is hoped for a person, but overall, to say that this is the method and to say it's going to be answered like that, you cannot say that. It is a, an action that is not from the sunnah. And the action that is not from the sunnah, if it is then considered bid'ah, bid'ah definitely is not acceptable. So it depends on how the ruling uh, works on that. If it is outright bid'ah, how they are doing it and what they are doing it, then it's definitely not accepted. But if it was something lesser than that, then perhaps for some of them, yurja lahul khair, as it is said, goodness is hoped for them, but it is not an action of the sunnah, it is not something should be done. We should be reminded to do their own dua, that they should make their dua in the prostrations at the end of the prayer. They can even do it in their own language. It's not a condition if they don't know Arabic, that they have to do it in Arabic. In the prostration, you can make a dua in your own language. They should be taught about these things. You know when you pray for can you do dua in further? In the fard as well. There's two that are mentioned in the uh, in some of the books of the Sunnah. In Sunnah Nabi Dawood, I think it is, it's mentioned about using a finger at a time. So it's one, two, three, four, five. And he mentions about making, uh, grasping your hand together. One, two, three, four, five. Subhanallah, subhanallah. And you come together like this. And then again, fingers, one finger at a time. And the other one that is mentioned by some of the scholars, of course, is the three. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. That's mentioned by some as well. Sheikh Bazi mentioned it as well. But what appears to be uh, <coughs> clear in the books of the Sunnah is about the one finger. But Sheikh Bazi did mention about the three finger one as well. If you, if you had your own method of counting, is that okay? Own method of household? Um, so obviously you have three. Huh? So let's say you did one, two, three, and then you did four here. So if you were to go through with your whole palm, <coughs> uh, I don't know about using. 16, I don't know about using uh, additional methods that are outside of what's been legislated. The one finger thing is definitely legislated. It's mentioned in uh, one of the books. I think uh, Sunnah Bidawud, maybe others too. And the other one, they always mention it in the threes. I don't remember where the hadith for that is, but if there's a narration talking about it in threes, then you'd have to stick to it as threes and not uh, do it in fours or other ways. Because then you're doing it in a method outside of the sunnah, so your reward is being lost for that. You're not practicing the sunnah in how you're doing it. What else? Should it be like, what if somebody says, There are different ways to do the adhkar at the end of the prayer. It's not just 33, 33, 33. There are different numbers. You can even do 10, 10, 10. It depends. There are different ways of doing the adhkar at the end of the prayer. They are mentioned in uh, uh, the Prophet's prayer described of a Sheikh al That English one now, it's available. Uh, in there, at the end, there's a section it tells you about the different methods of doing the adhkar at the end of the prayer. We might even come to it here if we find the chapter later on. And we'll mention there's about four different methods of how you can do the, the tasbih and the takbir, etc. At the end, it's not just 33. There are other numbers you can do and methods you can use. Alright, we'll conclude upon that for today. Inshallah ta'ala, resume next week uh, approximately same time, 8.30pm, inshallah.
صلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه وسلم